Paula Lucero. Well, uh, it's not her actual name. It's Phil Lucero's Phil Lucero's sister. I'm looking for the famous stool. <laughs> really? I, I, I can't imagine that you, of all people, have noticed. Of all people. The choices you've been wearing, you'll be sitting some. She's exaggerating. This is okay. This is an old song. That way. Yeah. So, so from the only person who hasn't talked to Michael fifties or sixties in Israel. Israel. I mentioned Michael. I think there's three yeah. who has talked to him. Yeah. 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 I don't think so. Oh, there's that. How long did you live? It's also maybe just what? How long did you live? I can't imagine. Everything's wonderful. Then one person says something in a minute. It doesn't make any sense. So that's why I think there's also like seven. Israel was a lot simpler in, in those years.
If they're giving you anything, it makes a big difference. Then you can build. It is. You know? Like the only way we've talked about it is not just for the kids. Some people are building. I tried like, the oh, Cava. I tried just Valerian. No, you had to do. There's more truth in the info. But apparently, we're supposed to talk to Emma. When I do it, it's like instant. This movie doesn't know how many sisters. Yeah, to have it's the only thing that's ever broken me. Like instantly, when I have it, I feel like I'm gonna. Yeah. Yeah. Because you gotta be careful when you say mixed reviews, because they might like turn on TV and see, you know, roughness or so they might want us with that, but maybe I don't know. Yeah. 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 She was, she was like also I'm just like my mom's, which is ugly. I'm just going to die all that. I think everyone's 
Ladies and uh, gentlemen, brethren and sisters, we need to uh, gather at the river. Something, please. Uh, James, I'm glad you responded. Uh, where are the... Uh, <laughs>
The rest of the people get charged admission after seven. <laughs> so. I collect. Yeah. <laughs> you get to get someone to count with you. I don't know. Uh, let's, uh, uh, Mr. James Grant, would you mind uh, opening us up with a word of prayer? Okay. Thank you, Lord, for this time, for your mercy, for sending your son. Thank you. We thank you for this place that we can meet. We pray you bless our time together. And give us ears to hear what your your spirit is saying to us. And help us to take heed and to do what you say, not just hear it. And you show us. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Um, as has been the case in each one of the classes, um, I want to take a few minutes and go over some of the points that we've covered the last few uh, Wednesday nights. And the major reason for me wanting to do that is that uh, getting our arms around the notion that growth, spiritual growth, is a normal part of the kingdom of God is hard for us to understand sometimes. Um, A, maybe we don't talk about it. B, we assume that when we go through tough times, that it's God's will for us to be in a desert. And what we forget is that desert living was never intended as uh, God's normal for God's people. And so the notion that Growth is something that is normative or is, is to be expected. Uh, it's hard for us to, to get our arms around because oftentimes it doesn't seem like we see a lot of growth. And especially when we look around us and we see the world, we see the country, or even we look at ourselves and, and perhaps we go, we go through dry times. And we forget the fact that the kingdom of God has to grow, otherwise it's not the kingdom of God. Right? That if, if it is the kingdom of God, then Scripture tells us that He is always at work, both to will and to do His good pleasure. The Lord never goes to the Bahamas uh, on, and, and takes... A month, a month off. He is always at work, and so that means that because he is always at work, what he does, he does effectively. If you recall, one one night we talked about this word energeo. It's, it's a little Greek for you here, um, which is uh, from which we get, of course, the word energy, but. Um, it's, it, it means not just to work, but to work effectively, to get stuff done. Um, so Ephesians 3.20, uh, God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or imagine according to the power that is effectively at work in us. 
So a huge part of this is our coming to terms with what the Word of God says and then recognizing that since it is what the Word of God says, anything else is an untruth or an outright lie. And we have to make a choice whether we're going to embrace the truth of the Word of God or go according to what it is that we feel. And unfortunately, as you well know, our feelings often lie to us. Right? And so we have to make a choice and say, I'm going to believe what the Word of God is saying and point my nose in that direction. So that's what we've been looking at and uh, beginning with Ephesians 4, if you, you recall the, the picture of the body where every part does his or her uh, duty and receives what it is that they need and give whatever it is that they're able. Uh, we also talked about unity. Uh, how that unity is not unity uh, like Gerber type of a mixture, but it's unity in diversity. We talked about uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where again we have the picture of the body, uh, where each component in the body does his or her job. And that without a particular component, the rest of the body suffers. Again, that's something that we don't uh, understand naturally because especially in this country we work according to the consumer mindset. Consumer mindset says I come someplace, I, I pay whatever it is I pay, put it in the offering, and I expect service. And I expect people to serve me, which obviously means that you have those who serve and then those who are served. You really don't have unity. And you've heard last time I think I mentioned the so-called 2080 principle, uh, which is something that business uh, researchers found out that 20% of the people do 80% of the work. And so what I wanted us to remember is that that's not a biblical truth. It's actually a lie because scripturally it's not 2080, it's 100-100. 100% of the people do 100% of the work. Uh, according to the different gifts and qualities and experience and destiny that God has called and given particular individuals. Um, and each of us is gifted in a, in a particularly different area. Uh, and so we serve according to that, and that promotes unity. And of course, uh, in and through and above everything, we wanted to remember that the goal in the growth is not just growth for the sake of growth, but it's always growth in the direction of Yeshua. That we are to grow into maturity in Him as men and women who understand what is involved in being His disciples. And remember, we talked about maturity showing itself in a couple of ways. Do you remember what that was? Telling the truth in love. 
Okay, that's one. And discerning uh, between what you, I mean, good and evil, actually. Well, good and evil, and truth and baloney. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, although uh, Ephesians doesn't use the word baloney, um, we understand what what that means. Um, so that's where we've been, and tonight um, we want to look at how does the growth take place. Uh, Yeshua is always with us, and he is at work, but what does that look like? So we're going to talk about the, the role of the Spirit of God um, in, the, in the process. Because remember, Yeshua said, it's for your advantage that I go away so that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit come and He be present and He will lead you into all truth and He will teach you the things that you need to know. So we'll look at Romans chapter 8 uh, tonight and we will uh, look mostly at verses 1 to 15. So let's divide that. Um, Sylvia, why don't you take uh, eight verses or so, and and um, James, would you take verse nine to fifteen? Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Messiah Yeshua, for the law of the Spirit of life in Messiah Yeshua has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what was impossible for the Torah, since it was weakened on account of the flesh, God has done, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as a sin offering. He condemned sin in the flesh, so that the requirement of the Torah might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Ruach. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Ruach set their minds on the things of the Ruach. For the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the Ruach is life and shalom. For the mindset of the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not submit itself to the law of God, for it cannot. So those who are in the flesh cannot please God. James, would you pick up? Verse 9 to 15, please. Okay. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Ruach, if indeed the Ruach Elohim dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Ruach of Messiah, he does not belong to him. But if Messiah is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the Ruach of the one who raised Yeshua from the dead dwells in you, the one who raised Messiah Yeshua from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Ruach who dwells in you. So then, brothers and sisters, we do not owe anything to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you must die. But if the Ruach... But if by the Ruach you put to death the deeds of the body, you shall live. For all who are led by the Ruach Elohim, these are sons of God. 
for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall again into fear. Rather, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Thank you. There's a ton of stuff, and we're certainly not going to talk about everything that's in here tonight. Um, but perhaps look at it um, in terms of groupings. And I first of all wanted to talk about this word law. Um, it's mentioned four times in these verses. And so people look at, at this and they say, Ah, um, what, is, what does Paul mean when he speaks about the law? Well, there are two things that are mentioned here. Um, first of all, in first uh, couple of verses... What, what Paul means is not the Torah, but simply principle, an operating principle. You know, just like gravity is an operating principle. It's a law of nature. And, and so what Paul is saying here, um, the law of sin and death simply means that if you do something, there are consequences. If you sin, the result is death. And if you follow the Spirit of God, then the result is life. So the first couple of verses are, are not referring to the Torah per se. Uh, and so people look at that and they misunderstand what Paul is saying, where he speaks about the law of sin and death, and they say, ah, that's the Mosaic law. You know, we're no longer under the Mosaic law, the law of sin and death. Well, that's not what Paul is saying. Um, the last couple of verses there, 3 and 4, he's stating reality. Reality is that the Torah was wonderful. The Torah is wonderful. Uh, in fact, in chapter 7, Paul puts it this way, um, the law, the Torah is spiritual. The problem is not with the Torah. The problem is with me. I don't have what it takes to, to do the Torah. And, and that's what he's, in essence, saying here. Uh, the Torah is powerless. In other words, it came as, as a guide for living, but it didn't give us the power. And so what, it, what, it, what the Torah did, one of the negative side effects of the Torah, is to show us how lousy we are. Well, okay. Good job. Uh, we did that. <laughs> we knew that before, but the Torah highlighted even more to show us how much we blow it because God sets his standards and we don't get it until until we see it and then we say okay I blew it so the Torah was powerless um, but God provided a goof proof solution in the person of Yeshua now I want you to focus for a minute on verse 4 in order that the righteous requirement of the law, the Torah, would be fully met in us who live not according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. So, what does that tell us about the Torah's place in our life? Are we free from it? No, we're not. Because the righteous standards... The righteous standards in the Torah 
are unchanging because God is unchanging. And the Lord lays out His guide for living and it doesn't change. And so, um, we can take one or two approaches to that. We can either do it one way or the other way. Uh, and so I want to pause for a minute and talk about the flesh versus the spirit. What does the word flesh mean? Sinful nature. Sinful nature. Okay, now remember, it, it also means body, but it means our nature that has been sautéed in sin or marinated in sin. Um, scripture doesn't say that everything in us is evil because obviously we were made in God's image and there are parts of us that reflect it. But there are also part, but everything in us has been sautéed in sin so that what is natural or normal for us is to sin. You know, and if you have been a parent and raised children, you know that what comes out of their mouth is not, oh, I love you, I want to serve you, I want to give you everything I can. <laughs> what co comes forth is, no. I want it, mine. No. No. <laughs> they, they, they wouldn't say get lost, but that's part of the... Uh, the ambiance of what comes forth. <laughs> so, um, the flesh, the sinful inclination is very, very natural, very normal. Now, what we don't, un what we don't understand about this, um, because every part of us has been sautéed with sin, when we endeavor to do things that are self-inspired, self-motivated, what do you think will come forth? Uh, let's see. Yeah, it is a Greek word, that's right. Kakos. Um, so, why is that? Well, it's hard. It's hard for us to embrace, um, because uh, you, you know we try hard, and and we see people who are moral individuals around us, who are hardworking and, by all definition, are good people. But what does Isaiah sixty-four, verse six, tell us about the best in us? Filthy rags. Hmm? Filthy rags. Filthy rags. What about filthy rags? It's our, our best actions apart from God are like. Yeah. Why? Because we can't really do that. We can't really. With our sinful. How, how do you get something good out of something dirty? Like, how do you get something clean? When you have, like I said, it's outdated in human nature, and apart from God, how do you pull goodness out of that? You can't. 
you can't. And one of the medieval rabbis, I, I uh, liked what he had to say. His name was Redak Kimchi. Um, put it this way, look, anything and everything that we do, even our best stuff, is tinted with, with uh, wrong motives. So even when we are being altruistic, and when we serve and give and so on and so forth, there's a part of us that wants to be recognized. And we want people to come say, Ah, isn't uh, Abraham wonderful? Look at what he did. You know, he was so good and so kind and so gracious and giving and so on and so forth. So th this is... Um, and, 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 and we forget that when we are self-driven and self-motivated, sooner or later stuff will come out that's not clean. And it is hard for us to come to terms with it because society around us talks about self-motivation. You know, and, and you... You know, I remember going with some of the kids to... Um, to one of the martial arts and the instructor was talking about how that you reach deep within you and you pull up the resources that you need to be able to overcome and I thought to myself wow uh, yes and no mm -hmm. because if if what you have to do is pull up stuff from within you guess what will come up from the depths some of it, yeah, there you go. Thank you, James. That was very uh, profound. Um, so, you know, we're talking about growth. We're talking about producing fruit for the kingdom um, because of our connection with Yeshua. And we obviously don't want to be based here because we know we'll produce kaka. So then, the only choice we have is living life by the Ruach. And by the way, you don't have uh, several shades of gray here as you go from the flesh to the spirit. You have one shade here, one shade here, and you have absolutely nothing in between. Um, you have a big gulf. So you can either do this or that. And we don't like that because our attitude is, well, I'll do a little bit of this and I'll put a little bit of from here. You know, I'll, I'll try to do things by the Spirit, but today it, I've got to be me. You know, what I call the Sinatra Doctrine. Um, so, what, what, uh, what Paul is saying here is that the standards, God's standards for holiness have to be maintained, but they can only be maintained by someone who is living by the Spirit. Now let's park here for a while and talk about what that means. What does it mean to do things by the Spirit? Uh, here's another Greek word for you, peri... Uh, do you... Oh, I, I know you're impressed. Uh, my point simply is that remember that the New Testament was written in Jewish Greek. 
In other words, it's in Greek, but it's Jewish ideas. So even though you have that, where does it come from? It comes from the Hebrew verb halach, from which we have halacha, which has the notion of walking, um, walking with God, walking in God's ways, and then God walking with us. Uh, remember that in the Garden of Eden, uh, what was Adam and Eve's experience in a garden? Each afternoon, they heard the voice of God walking in the garden, in the cool of the day. It wasn't as if it was actually physically, but the presence, the voice of God was there. So, uh, walking by the Spirit is something that comes from the, from the Torah, a couple of places, and I, want, I wanted us to look at it. First of all, Deuteronomy chapter 26. Leviticus. It's Leviticus, I'm sorry. Leviticus 26, verse 3, and then verse 12. Rabbi David, can I call on you? You just want to read the first three on its own? Just first three on its own, okay. first twelve on its own. Okay. If you follow my statutes and keep my commandments and observe them faithfully. Okay, you can go on to verse four. It's an if statement, but you know. Right. Okay. Um, so if you do all that, I will give you your rains and their season, and the land shall yield its produce. And the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. Okay, so you have the word walk there. If you walk with me and walk in my statutes, then verse 12. Yeah, if, you, if, in, my stat if in my statutes you walk, right. Um, 12. <clears throat> well, this, is, hmm. this is, then, then I will, uh, this is, and I will walk among you. It will be your God and you shall be my people. So the notion of walking with God, or God walking with us, simply means a relationship. Mm -hmm. uh, and remember that Hebrew is a very graphic language. It, it gives us lots of word pictures. And when you think about it, it's simply the matter of, okay, here is uh, a path uh, in the mountains. You can take this path, it will take you over here to this peak, or you can take the path that takes you to that peak. So that's basically what, what Hebrew uh, here in, in, um, in Leviticus, uh, as part of the covenant relationship that God is establishing with Israel, he's saying, walk this way. And you walk this way, you follow what I laid out as a path, and you will be blessed because there's blessing and obedience. If, on the other hand, you're stupid, uh, which is unfortunately what happened with, with Israel a lot and with us, then here's what's going to happen. But, um, so it's a two-way street. And remember, by the way, uh, each Shabbat in the Torah service, when we recite Ezekiel 36, 
verse 27 speaks about the Lord putting His Spirit in us. Okay, the rest of it. Ezekiel 36, let's turn to it. Ezekiel chapter 36 verse 27 Of course I will put my Ruach within you then I will cause you to walk in my laws so you will keep my rulings and do them Okay so somehow, part of the new covenant means that God is able to come up with a new system. Uh, the standards haven't changed, but just the way God is working with people uh, to co- sort of come up with a goof-proof system. He's going to put His Spirit within us, each of us, um, and he-, he will somehow cause us to walk in His way to do as well. Um, that's the amazing part of having a relationship with God that He is able to, in a sense, drive us. But, but again, the question I want to ask simply is this. What does it mean to walk after the Spirit? Uh, the NIV uh, puts it this way, to live according to the Spirit, but but the, the the word originally means to walk. What does it mean to walk after the Spirit? Being in constant prayer with God and uh, seek His way, seek His will above your own. So prayer and obedience. Love. Hmm? In love. Love? Okay. Seeking. I like that. What does it mean to seek? To go after, to try to find, to like... um the word seek itself, and it's like asking God. Yeah. So, you get up in the morning, and you have a long list of to-do items. And then, then you say, okay God, here's what I have lined up for the day, would you please bless me? <laughs> Which is kind of saying, Lord... Um, I've designed a plan and a strategy, and would you please put your pixie dust on it? Telling him. Telling him, of course telling him. Uh, you know, we're in the United States of America, you know, etc. Um, 
And that's standard. So, practically speaking, we are atheists. Why do I say that? Because if God was to be removed out of the picture, we would get along just fine, or so we think. So, walking after the Spirit means that we consciously made a decision to yield to give God control of, of our house, our car, etc., etc. Um, Psalm 46.10, let's turn to that for just a minute. And we'll also look at, at uh, Isaiah 30.15. And Rachel, if you have one of those, we'll take it. Oh, continue your steadfast love to those who know you and your righteousness to the upright of heart. I'm sorry, read that again. You said 36. 46. 46. 46. 46. 46. 46. 46. 46. 46. 46. 46. 46. Wait on him and to believe that he's sovereign and even to the details of every day and the plan that he has for that day for us. To wait? Okay. When you think of still, what does that suggest? Listen. Hmm? Listen. It, it also has to do with being quiet. Yes. <laughs> Desist. Remember why God speaks to so many people in Scripture through dreams. Simply because they can't talk back. And they have no choice but to listen. The Lord has people exactly where He wants them to. I think really a lot of ways, um, during the day and so forth, there are a cacophony of thoughts going through our mind. And it's only when there comes a place when our soul is very still. Not a whole lot is going on, and that's when we can hear the, the voice of God. Mm. Okay. Like first thing in the morning sometimes, before you've got up and done anything, you know, your mind is a little more still. Just my experience. Uh, good experience. Uh, but interestingly enough, the, the Hebrew word for be still... Is, it doesn't have anything to do with being quiet. It has to do with control. So, harpu literally means dropping it. Drop it. Why? So then that you will know experientially that I am God. So what's the implication here? The implication is simply that... Um, if you're holding on to things, then are you able then to experience 
the reality that God is who he is. You really are not. Because who is God in that particular situation? We are. We are. Of course. And when we relinquish control, then is when we experience the fact God's presence and God's activity, and we know that He is God. You know, it's one of those situations where you step back and say, Wow, okay, this is God. Not me, this is God. And so He requires walking by the Spirit, folks, is not some mystical spiritual concept, walking by the Spirit is very practical. Why? Because the Word of God was given to us as a guide for living so that we can follow and obey and walk in the paths that the Lord has for us. Isaiah 30, verse 15. TLB says, Oi! 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 Those who go to great depths to hide their plans from Adonai, their works are in the dark, they say, Who sees us? Who knows us? Uh, this is 3015? 3015? No, 15. That's 2915. <laughs> <laughs> but that's good too. Yeah, well, that's, that's in a good book as well, yeah. <laughs> It does say oi there. Mine says oi. It does in 29, but not in 30. <laughs> oh, 30, 15? Yeah. Yes. Thus says Adonai Elohim, the Holy One of Israel, by repentance and rest you are saved. In quietness and trust is your strength, but you are not willing. Okay, so, what is the Lord saying to the people of Israel through Isaiah at that point? Well, stiff-necked, but specifically, what did the stiff-neckedness look like? You're not listening, you're not uh, wanting to do it that way. You, you are convinced that you're the one who has to do the talking. And the Lord says, you learn to be quiet, <coughs> and you learn that that's where your strength comes from, because you, you listen to... To, to God, and you want to know what He has in mind. And sometimes it takes us a while to learn, doesn't it? You know, we're banging our head against the wall a whole bunch of times, and we finally say, okay. Uh, banging our head against the wall was not very productive, and so I, uh, I need to do something different. Okay, God, uh, how about you take charge here? And sometimes it takes us a great deal of time to learn to do that. So, coming back then to Romans chapter 8 and verse 5. Romans 8 verse 5. Those who live in, in according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. Those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set 
on what the spirit desires. So what you can see, this is something like uh, which is the chicken, which is the egg. Um, you, you live according to the spirit and you set your mind according to the spirit. Or you can say, uh, it begins with the mind and it translates into actions. So what does it mean? Think about what does it mean to set your mind on the spirit. <clears throat> I mean, is this one of these woo kind of concepts? It just means you're concentrating, you're paying attention to like the things of God and what God wants for you instead of what you want for yourself. So, where your what is it? Where your heart is? There, your home is, or something like that. It's kind of like where your mind is, what you're thinking of, whether it's things of God or things of yourself. So it begins It begins with a basic notion that says, I'm committed to that. I'm committed to listening. I'm committed to following what it is that God wants. You know, I, uh, I remember reading Yeshua's statements in, uh, in John chapter 10, where he said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. <clears throat> that really bothered me, because I thought, you know, Lord, you talk to him, her, and everybody else, so what am I, chopped liver? Uh, everybody talks about, Lord, uh, talk to me, but God told me, God said this to me, God said that to me, and I'm standing there going... <laughs> And at some point I realized that the Lord wired me and knew what made me tick and that somehow He had a way of communicating with me. He had my cell phone number and that all I needed to do is learn to be quiet and wait that in His good time He would be able to communicate. And so because of that, we recognize the fact that God is committed to speaking to us, that God has a plan that He is actively engaged in our life. And that's a faith statement because we realize that with, what is it, 7 billion people, God is busy in Bosnia and is busy in Africa, but somehow He's able to see to it that there is this relationship with us so we set our mind, we're committed to the notion that our life has to be run not by ourselves and our ideas and our thoughts and our motivation and our power, but our lives have to be uh, led as, uh, our lives have to be uh, empowered by the Spirit. Now, Paul makes some very, very strong statements here. And I wanted us to be sure and look at those statements. Um, let's begin with uh, further down here. Um, verse 9 and then verse 14. You, however, are not controlled by the sinful nature if the Spirit of God lives in you. So what is he saying here? If the Spirit of God lives in you, 
then you will not be controlled and manipulated by your fleshly desires and everything that's that's welling up within you. So is that really a question of if the Spirit of God lives in you? When or since? Since the Spirit of God lives in you. That's a reality. In fact, Paul puts it this way. Um, if you don't have the Spirit, you don't belong to... You're not one of God's kids. So either you're one of God's kids, and if so, you have the Spirit. And if so, you cannot be controlled by your natural stuff. That something within you cries out and says, No, I have to learn to set my mind on the Spirit. And he puts it this way even more um, more strongly in verse 14. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Now think about the implication of what that means. A person who does not know and is not willing to allow the Spirit of God to lead him or her is basically saying, I am not one of God's kids. Now that's a very strong statement, isn't it? Because it means that regardless of what name I give myself and what tag I give myself, if part of my life, the way my life is defined, is not my learning to depend on the Spirit of God to lead me and empower me and show me where I need to go, if that's not part of my life, that I am not one of His. Because the normal thing for one of us who is one of God's kids is for us to learn to be quiet and listen and depend on God for the power to carry out what He's given us to do. Which means that anything and everything else is aberrant and abnormal and funky. Um, which simply means that if we find ourselves being here in a path that is self-motivated and self-driven, then we stop and say, God, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be here. I want to be over here where I'm listening, where I'm hearing, where I'm being taught by your Spirit, and where I know how to depend on the power that I need for life, that's where I want to be. And sometimes it takes baby steps, where we begin each day and we learn to listen, we learn to follow, we learn to obey. And so, begins with the mind, and it leads to actions that demonstrate that we are controlled and motivated and driven and empowered by the Spirit of God. So, what does that look like? Well, um, a couple of very, very clear indicators of what is, uh, what is going on in your life. And if what drives us is the flesh, or what drives us is the spirit, the results will be radically different. 
What does Paul say earlier here in this chapter uh, about the results of what take place be because of living by the flesh? Death. Death, okay. Death in what sense? Eternal death. Not, I mean, the soul never actually dies. But it's a uh, death toward God. In other words, uh, our life will not be with God. Now this is this is pretty sobering, uh, because again, remember that Scripture here doesn't give us a thousand shades of gray. You know, a little bit of the flesh, uh, a little less of the flesh, a whole bunch of, a little bit of the spirit. You don't have a continuum. You have radical uh, antithesis, radical uh, positions. You either do this or you do that. So what does that mean? If you're someone who's a believer and you have learned for one reason or another, to be self-motivated, self-driven, then it will result in death in your life. Not physical death, or necessarily eternal death, but death in terms of dryness and emptiness and uh, lack of fruit and productivity in your relationship with God and your ability to serve Him. Yeah, but doesn't, you know, as you say, it's always contrast. Right. You know, it's either the kingdom of light or the kingdom of darkness. But it's one thing just to say, well, you'll have no fruit. Right? But to me, it seems, no, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not actually looking at the Greek word here to see, so I may be off. But he's trying to show you that, I mean, it's one or the other. And so to me, it's more than just I'm dry. Because a life of the flesh, it says the flesh cannot please God. So if I say I believe in God, and yet I am motivated by the flesh that results in death, that is the thing that's burnt up and thrown away. I mean, I don't see how, if I have the Spirit of God, and I'm led by the Spirit of God, I have, I'm trying to think, what's the best way to say this? I feel it must be more than just, I'm dry, I'm just dry and not very fruitful. Absolutely. Um, yeah, this is not something mild. Um, and unfortunately, you live long enough, we all go through periods in our life, not just of dryness, uh, but times when our relationship with God is, is really hurting, either because of sin or other issues in our life, and death in a sense of there is no joy, there, there's really nothing coming down the pipe from God to us. What happens if a person were to die at that point? Uh, it, it, God would make some kind of determination, and I'm, I'm glad I'm not the one who will be making that determination. I guess what I'm saying is, it's because a person is either in one camp or the other. Right. Right? Um, I mean, Paul talks about, you know, this certain behavior. When the Lord comes back for judgment, and there's this certain behavior, this certain behavior is going to be judged. Right. Right? Um, and it seems to me, um, God knows those who are His, right? God knows those who are His. 
But if a person's life has been, I made the decision, you know, for the Lord, but then the rest of my life, but the whole, the rest of my life has just been, you know, the flesh. Then there is the concern because Paul, uh, Peter would say, you know, work out your, seeing that the elements are going to be destroyed in this way, what manner of holy people ought we to be? Seems to me it's has it's more than just if I find that all that's happening to me is flesh, I have to consider: Am I really in the body? Obviously not. Obviously not. Because remember uh, the notion of having a relationship with God in Scripture isn't based on someone mumbling a uh, a, a prayer and then saying, "Okay, I'm in God's book of life from here on." Uh, no. That, that is counter-scriptural. Because the Word of God says that when someone comes into the kingdom of God, the Spirit of God is within them. They undergo a process of transformation or regeneration. And they're changed people. Otherwise, what had taken place when they mumbled a few words is absolute empty. Has no substance, no reality. The Word of God doesn't consider the notion of someone mumbling something, praying, and, and then boom, they're in the kingdom of God. No, if, if reality takes place, then the Spirit of God comes, and if the Spirit of God is alive, guess what happens? The Spirit of God convicts us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He bugs us so that we say, no, I, this is not okay, I need to change, God forgive me, etc., etc. And there is a process of change. If the person was truly... Uh, born from above, and and so yeah, uh, if if the entire life is spent pursuing the things of the flesh, then it's it's a clear indicator that the person really never entered into a bona fide relationship with God. Paul's point simply is that if we are sons and daughters of God, there's something within us that wants to follow God and is willing to lay down our thoughts and our ideas down at His feet and say, God, you're in control. I recognize you as King of kings and Lord of lords. Um, and unfortunately, we are responding and reacting to a version of salvation that's really not scriptural. It states that we are a new creation. Correct. The old is gone. No right. Is and right. the process starts right there. Right. And so the, 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 the notion that someone can live like an absolute pagan and consider themselves to be a child of God is, is, not, is not reality. It's bogus. Um, so part of the picture here is um, it is a process of growth in which we engage and participate um, and we set our mind on the Spirit of God, and because of that, what happens is we experience life. That's normal. Anything else is, is abnormal. Remember what Yeshua said, if you come to, those, if you come to me, the, the water that I give you, he says to the Samaritan woman, uh, will never leave you thirsty. But as you drink, what will happen is springs of living water will come bubbling forth to eternal life. In other words, if what is real, if we come to the Lord and if we have learned to receive and take what He, he has for us, 
then yes, you bet it will be life. And shalom. And shalom, yes sir. Peace and wholeness. Um, so again, fruitfulness, growth, productivity is something that God has for each one of us. And it's not complicated. You know, you don't need ten easy steps to do this and five easy steps to do that. It simply means that we come and we learn to recognize the fact that that whatever happens in our life has to happen as we give God control. And that's a difficult process because each one of us does well in one area and then God says, okay, you are getting it here, now I'm going to bring you to this area. And I'm going to teach you what control, my control looks like in this particular area. And we struggle and fuss and kick and fume and eventually we come to the sensible conclusion that says, God, of course you're right. And we welcome Him to come in and lead us by the Spirit. And the result, of course, is life, not death. But this is part of the picture that the Lord has for each one of us individually. And guess what happens as we grow in our relationship with the Lord individually? that we as a mishpacha also grow, and we grow together. Because each one of us receives that life and contributes to the welfare of the others who are part of our mishpacha, part of the body. And together we continue to grow, and, and we provoke one another, uh, encourage one another, sometimes nudge one another. And that's what the Lord has in mind here. All right, let's finish. Um, James, would you finish for us with a word of prayer? Lord, we thank you for your word, for your Ruach HaKodesh. We pray you'd help all of us to let you do what you want to do with each of us. Help us to be pliable in your hands. And to, to seek your face and to read your word for Lead us in the way you'd have us to go. We thank you for your ruach and for your love, Lord. We pray you keep all of us safe as we go our separate ways tonight. In Yeshua's name. Amen. Thank you. It was a fast hour. Oh, well, good. Yeah, it said Lent is normal, but not, right? It's normal only in God's spiritual realm. It's on earth, everyone observes Lent and gets to breathe. But people do go by their own. You know, they tend to be stubborn against God's own. We're not wanting to hear it, and they go in their own successes. And it's really not that normal on earth. It's real. I feel like it's our to find people that yeah. see that spiritual life is going to Well, that's what the word says to us. Either accept it face value or... Oh yeah, no, I mean, it's true. If you look around, the normal thing is... 